We have a number of, of college students in our congregation. How many of you are college students or parents of college students? Lots of hands. When you think of sending your child off to college, or, or for those of you that are in college, when you think of going off to college, what are some of the concerns that are in your mind? Some of the things that you want to watch out for? The food. <laughs> the food. <laughs> whether you eat too much or whether it's just, yeah. Um, okay, what else? Money. Money, okay. Bad influences. Absolutely, bad influences. Is college a challenging time when it comes to the area of influence? Why is it so challenging when it comes to influence? What was that? I know you said it softly. Bad teachers? Absolutely. Bad teachers, professors that have an agenda, oftentimes an anti-Christian agenda. Brainwash. Okay. There was another hand over here somewhere. See. I was going to say the bad influence is partly because of the mentality of college is expanding and opening your mind, and so people are really pushing for you to try to like be open to more ideas. Okay, so expand and open your mind. There is no truth. It's you just need to embrace a lot of things and then decide what you want. I've heard that. I'm not making that up. Unless it's Christianity, don't choose Christianity. That's stupid. Uh, but open your mind to anything else. Discipline. Being disciplined. College students never struggle with being disciplined. No, it's the first time that, that you're on your own usually, the first time that you're making decisions. These are all things that go into, okay, what happens if I send my son or my daughter to college? You know, I, I think of that already as my kids are still young, but they're getting older at a, a pace that I can't even keep up with. And I'm thinking college, and wow, are they going to be ready to withstand the pressures that will come with college. Imagine if you, you sent your son or your daughter to college and they go off and they're, they're walking with God, they're a believer, and maybe they're going away to college. And about six months later, you get a letter from a family friend that is in the area. And the, the family friend says, you know, there's some things that I just need to, to let you know about. Some things that I, I think you as a parent would want to know about. Don't worry, your son or your daughter is doing just fine. Okay, they're, they're still they're still walking with God, but here's what's going on: they have a professor that is actively teaching them that Christianity is wrong, and that Christianity is false, and it's simply a crutch. And I, I'm listening to their conversations. They go on to write, and I'm listening, and they're starting to try to figure out how to deal with this professor, how to answer the questions, and. And I see them weakening just a little bit in their resolve to stand firm for Christ. And at the same time, they said, as they've, they've gone through some of the discipline issues, they're really struggling with, is Christianity simply a list of things you do or a list of things you don't do? Or is it more? And so they're asking questions like, why is purity important? And, and why should I go to church on Sundays? And why should I study God's Word? And, and why is plagiarism wrong? Isn't that just research? And, and, and they're asking all these questions. Just thought you wanted to know as a parent. But they're still doing fine. But these are the pressures that are coming in around them. Moms, dads, would you want to know that? Yeah. What would you do? Pray. First thing is to pray. 
Anything else? Ask better questions when you talk to them. A little information helps you ask the right questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Would anyone get in their car and take a drive? Show up at the college. A couple of you would. Show up at the college. Let's go to lunch. Okay. <laughs> equip them to do that. Or, yeah, I don't know that you want to go in and do that. But yeah, equip them to do that. It is hard in our collegiate system. I'll just say that up front. It is hard in our Christian colleges. It is not uncommon. Happy and I this year have fielded some questions from some of our students at Christian colleges where the inerrancy of God's Word is being challenged. Where creation is being challenged. Even at one of the programs at Biola, they, they've allowed the door open for theistic evolution and they've, they've come back on a stance of faith alone and, and have abandoned that stance. This is serious what we are dealing with in our culture today. Because we are dealing with an erosion of Christ being supreme and of God's Word being supreme. And we all have to deal with it, not just at our, our colleges, but when it comes to we go to the workplace and, and we say, hey, I went to church on Sunday and we learned about God. And they're like, oh, that's great for you. You know, I went to my church on Sunday too and, and I'm, um, I'm Muslim. And it's nice to know we're all, we're all heading the same direction. We're taking different paths up the same mountain. How do you answer that? How do you answer that? And as we come to a new series today, as we come to the book of Colossians, the picture that I've just painted is the picture that Paul was facing as he sat down and picked up his pen or he started talking to Timothy with pen in hand and, and writing the book of Colossians. So as we come to the book, today is about getting an overview of what's happening. And, and I think today it's helpful to understand the history of how the church was started, Paul's relationship to it, and what the church was facing. Because I am convinced that the church at Colossae was facing the same things we face today. And as we study God's Word, and as, as Paul brings us back to the supremacy of Christ, and saying everything hinges on whether we are in Christ the same message we need to hear today. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll read the first couple verses of intro and then I'll give a, a historical sketch of what's been going on. But Colossians chapter 1 will be starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And these are the first two verses that we see in many epistles that we just sort of gloss over. Yeah, Paul's saying, hi, that's great, let's get on to the meat of the book. But Paul almost always gives some hints in his greeting of where he's going with the book. Paul just has a way of writing that whatever theme he has in mind, it just infiltrates every verse and every, every word. And we see that right from the start. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. And we see him pounding what it means to be in Christ. And we see him introducing his theme right from the start. Out of these verses, we see a number of the particulars of the book of Colossians. We see who is writing it. We see that Paul is writing it. He has Timothy by his side, and Timothy is serving with him at the time. And what a great picture of discipleship, by the way. 
that Paul is taking this young man that he's discipling and he's including him in the process of writing this letter to the church at Colossae. Timothy was probably writing most of it or parts of it for him. We know that Paul wrote the end of it um, but with his own hand. But Timothy also would, would be discussing this with Paul. And so Paul is, has Timothy with him. Timothy knows some of these people as well, and, and they're writing this book. But to give you sort of a sketch of what's going on here, if we can put up the map, Don. But this is a map of the area that Paul had taken his missionary journeys through. And we, we have to step back five to seven years from when Colossians is written to really understand what's happening. On Paul's third missionary journey, he's traveling up from down in the lower right. You see Jerusalem. That's where Israel is. And he's traveling up to this area that, that has the box. That box is a, a, an expansion or a zoom in on Ephesus and Colossae down below. So this is Israel down here. And Paul, on his third missionary journey and his second missionary journey, but his third one is where we want to focus, is up here. And he ends up spending about two years at Ephesus ministering. This is about AD 55. And so he's ministering at Ephesus and really building the church there and building disciples. But off to the right here, we see the city of Colossae. And this is an expansion of that, a blow up of that. You see Ephesus over here. And Colossae is in a little valley called the Lycus River Valley. And in this valley, there was um, a fertile area. There's a huge mountain that gives a backdrop. And there's this river, and it was perfect for, um, for sheep and raising sheep. And so Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis, they became famous for their wool and their textile industry. The wool from there had a, just a unique purple tint to it. And, and so the trade was huge in the textile area. All three of these cities were, were huge at one point. But by the time we get to the New Testament... Laodicea and Hierapolis became the major cities of the area. And Colossae had had waned in importance. Um, Population had decreased, mostly because the trade route had been rerouted. Sort of like when we we watch cars and you see Route 66 and Radiator Springs is sort of abandoned because the the highway goes in. That's what happened. And the the highway, the new trade route, went through Laodicea and Hierapolis and left Colossae behind. And so they were all sister cities, but this was a city that was smaller in nature. Now what happened is Paul probably never visited this town. Sort of odd to be writing a letter of instruction to a church that you didn't visit. But what had happened is people from Colossae in this area would be coming to Ephesus as one of the major ports in the area, and so you'd have people traveling back and forth. And in about 55, that range of time, when Paul was at Ephesus, two people of importance came from Colossae, and he met them in Ephesus, and they accepted Christ. They heard the gospel and gave their hearts to Christ. One of them goes by the name Epaphras. Epaphras. And Epaphras is the gentleman that Paul in Colossians, and and Pastor Andrew will be talking about this next week in the next section. He sat under Paul's teaching, accepted Christ, came to faith in Christ, and he said, this is amazing. This is truth. Everybody needs to hear this. And so he goes trotting back over to Colossae, and he starts a church. He's sharing the gospel. This is reproduction. This is great. And so he goes and he starts the church. 
Another gentleman that had come to Ephesus was a, a guy by the name of Philemon. Maybe you've heard of him. And, and so Philemon was also there, also accepted Christ and went back. And we know that the church met in his house sometimes. And so Epaphras and Philemon go back to Colossae, and the, the best that we can tell, they found the church there. And so this isn't a church that Paul fathered, but rather it's a church that he grandfathered. Which is really amazing when we think of reproduction, and the whole goal of growing in Christ is then to be able to transfer that and to teach someone else. That's what's happening here. And so it's not that Paul is distant from them, those of you that are grandfathers and grandmothers, you care at all about your grandkids? Yeah. One grandmother this week said they, they care so much it hurts. And, and so think of Paul and his grandchildren at this town. Some of the people that he knows and built into, they then start a church. So he has an interest here. So then let's fast forward about six, seven years into the future to about 60, 61 A.D., at this point, Paul is no longer in Ephesus. He is now under house arrest up here in Rome. And, and th- there's a lot of debate. Might he have written this from Ephesus while he was there? Um, might he have written this from Caesarea? But the, the bulk of the evidence and the, the evidence of um, church tradition and early church, but everything seems to point that he, he wrote this book, Colossians, when he was in Rome. And what probably happened is he's there, and, and in the five years that this church has started, and Epaphras is starting the church, and Philemon's there, some of these influences start to put pressure on the church. Some of the influences that are trying to steer them away from what is going on. Steer them away from a faith in Christ, what it means to be in Christ. And we see in that greeting there, Paul and Timothy wrote it, but they wrote it to Colossae. And Paul, as he hears Epaphras' story, as he hears what is going on in the, in the city, he says, I've got to do something about this. We've got to address this. This is my, gr- my grandchildren in the faith. I can't let this go. Now, he's under house arrest, so he can't hop in the car and go up to the college and meet with the professor. <laughs> he, he has to write a letter. He has to write a letter. And so out of care and concern for this church at Colossae, he sits down and he writes a letter. And it's actually one of three letters. See, there was someone else that was probably in Rome with Paul, a slave by the name of Onesimus. And we know that Onesimus was actually a runaway slave from Philemon. Okay, Interesting how God just puts all the connections together. And so Paul, at the same time, probably writes three letters probably writes Colossians, Philemon, and we'll study Philemon right after Colossians. We'll put those two together since they're two of the same city. Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians, which is why you see so many similarities and similar concepts between Ephesians and Colossians. They were probably written at the same time. They're roughly in the same region, probably facing the same pressures. And so Paul says, I need to write them too. I need to make sure that my children in the faith and my grandchildren in the faith stay in the faith. That they stay in the faith. Same thing that many of you parents, when you send your children off to college, I know you're on your knees every day praying for your children's faith. Praying that they will walk with God. 
that they will not abandon what they know to be true, that their trust in God will only grow and their faith in God will only grow. And that's the situation that Paul is in as he writes this letter. A couple of things about what is going on in Colossae that that just helps us understand some of the beliefs that were in the area. And, And Colossians, the first half especially, is going to deal very strongly with making sure we believe the right things, making sure we believe in Christ. And so to understand what that means and how important that is, we have to understand what's going on around them. In that area, there were all kinds of different religions that were were practiced. You had the um, Artemis who was worshipped, and Zeus, and a different Artemis, the Huntress, and the local moon god, Mean, and the lunar goddess, Selene, and Egyptian deities, Isis and Serapis, and Athena, and Demeter, and, and several more. And what had happened is all of these people had come in, and there was also a Jewish population that had come into to Colossae and was living there. And as can happen with, with so many different beliefs, people not only were polytheistic, meaning that they believed in a number of gods, but they begin to merge the different beliefs. And, and sort of like a, a shopping cart where I'm going to take the best part of this one and I'm going to take the best part of this one. It wasn't so much the best, maybe the... the, the the scariest part of this one, or the judgment out of this one. And, and their belief system began to merge a little bit of Judaism and the legalism of Judaism with some of these other beliefs. And we, we call that syncretism. Syncretism, where they are, are blending different beliefs and sort of making their own religion. There's a lot of study, and it'll come up as we, we cover especially the first two chapters of Colossians of what was the heresy that Paul was addressing? And, and as I, I read author after author on that, basically they all say we're not sure. We're not sure because it's not one thing. You can't just point to one thing. It's a combination of, of a number of things. We're going to see times in Colossians where Paul appears to be dealing with Jews and with Judaism that has become legalistic and oppressive when it comes to um, holidays and observances and Sabbaths. And he, he confronts that. But then we also see things that were from these other religions. See, the, the people at Colossae in that whole area, they had a strong belief in the supernatural, in the spirit world. And so there was a spirit of everything. And, and you could offend those spirits and they would bring judgment on you, or you could somehow appease those spirits. When I think of today, I think of some of the, the ways that we, we encounter tribes and some of the beliefs that they still have. But that was full scale in Colossae, what they believed. And so there might be even, they would have different intersections of roads, that there would be a spirit of that intersection. And you better appease that spirit before you went down that road, or something terrible was going to happen to you. And so that is the environment that the church was founded in. And Epaphras took the things he had learned and, and took Scripture and he's teaching it and, and beginning the church. But there were all these other influences that were coming in. And so you had people being saved that still were struggling with, isn't there a, a spirit of this beam or a spirit of these chairs? And what if I do the wrong thing? The chair will collapse. What do I do? So it led to a very fearful living a fearful living that I hope I do the right thing spiritually. There's no freedom in that kind of living. 
There's no joy in that kind of living. And if you were encountering an evil spirit, it was sometimes helpful to call on a good spirit to help you out. And so Paul's hearing all of this from Epaphras. And the book of Colossians is his treatise on what it means to follow Christ. What it means to be in Christ. And so he's going to refute some of these forms of syncretism that, and the blending of ideas that are coming in. He's going to deal with some of the, the Jewish mysticism and legalism that was being taught. Some of what was being taught looks to be a, a very, very early form of Gnosticism. And we don't want to call it Gnosticism because that didn't come to, to bear until about a hundred years later. But some of those thoughts were already in the area and coming out of that area. And, and that really deals with that, that the spiritual is good and anything physical is evil. And so, and we've talked about that before. And, and where that leads is, well, Jesus couldn't have even been human. Because how could God take on a human, evil, disgusting body? And, and, and so, in the end, they ended up denying the, the cross and redemption, and salvation came from knowing mysteries of God. So you're going to see Paul dealing with some of those early beliefs that were in the middle of all these other beliefs. And so Paul is going to pound, pound into us who Christ is. Who Christ is. I've got to say, if you don't like repetition, Colossians probably isn't for you. Because Paul is going to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. Out of 95 verses, 52 of them mention Jesus Christ directly. It's over half. Five to ten more talk about his work directly. And so you're looking at two-thirds of the book, of every verse in the book, is coming back to who Christ is, is making Christ central. And you can understand that with all with, with the, the pressure of, well, every path can lead to God. He's trying to help them understand that no, every path doesn't. And if you understand the work of Christ, you know you can't logically even get to that place. Because no other religion deals with the sin problem. Deals with a payment for the sin problem. And until sin is paid for, there can be no salvation. And so we come to the book of Colossians, and all of that's just a quick 20-minute whirlwind historical sketch. But for me, it's so valuable to understand where, what Paul's relationship is with them and where he's coming from. And the themes that we're going to see in Colossians come as a direct response to the pressures that they were feeling. As, as Paul is going to talk about what it means to believe in Christ, and he's going to deal with the theological side of that, and then he's going to talk about what it means to live in Christ. He's going to talk very practically. Okay, it's not a list of, of what you should and shouldn't do, but if you love Christ, this is what will come out of that. And the book is roughly divided into two halves on those two things. So in your notes, you have the themes. I know up till now everything's been sort of like, oh, he just has these broad categories for the notes. Yeah, that's true. But when we come to themes, the major theme of the entire book is in Christ. In Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? We see that in other, other books of the New Testament. 
We see that as a description of the Christian walk. We've probably said that. I am in Christ, or we should live in Christ. And what I appreciate about Colossians is he's going to break that down and say, do you really know what that means? Because if your faith is going to stand the trials, if you're going to stand the pressures, if our college students are going to stand the pressures when they go off to college, they better understand what it means to be in Christ. This is key. And you see two points there. And we're going to answer two questions as we go through Colossians. What does it mean to believe in Christ? And what does it mean to live in Christ? What does it mean to believe in Christ? And that's the first half of the book, a theological treatise on who Christ is and dealing with two specific things, the person of Christ and the work of Christ. And we're going to see some grand ideas and grand verses of the supremacy of Christ and how He is over creation. And I pray that it stretches our brains, that it it tests our brains. And I'm praying for Grand Canyon moments, I'm calling them. You ever been to, how many have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, is it the same to see pictures of the Grand Canyon? You can see all the pictures you want. And I remember stepping off the bus, I was on a high school trip, stepping off the bus and walking to the rim of the canyon, and I was like, speechless. It's amazing. Because the pictures don't do the, the reality justice. As we go through the descriptions of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that we see the reality of who He is. That through the, the, the Holy Spirit revealing Himself to us, through our relationship with Him, we have Grand Canyon moments where we're like, wow, wow. And it stretches our brain of how we think about Jesus Christ. Because to live in Christ, we have to know what we believe in Christ. And that's the first part of our title is Deeply Rooted. Deeply Rooted. And that comes from Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. That's that's actually the practical side. But then verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we want to be rooted in who Christ is, the person of Christ, and also the work of Christ. Why was the cross necessary? What is redemption? How did Christ secure redemption? And we're going to find things there that point to the cross as being the only way. It was absolutely necessary because it deals with the sin issue and it brings forgiveness. So the first half, the question is, what does it mean to believe in Christ? The second question is, what does it mean to live in Christ? To live in Christ. See, it doesn't, Paul isn't after a head knowledge here. I I have, I have talked with people that know the Bible backwards and forwards and know the history and know the Greek and the Hebrew and maybe even know the Aramaic and Daniel and, and my head is spinning talking to them, but they don't know Christ. And Paul isn't after just a head knowledge here because that will not hold someone in their faith that will not hold someone in Christ. And so the second half of the book, he begins to say, well, how does this work out in real life? How does this work out with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your boss? How does it work out with your thought life? And he begins to explore that any true belief in Christ will affect every part of life. 
And it is an amazing book. I am so excited about going through it as we just talk about what it means to live in Christ. And that's the second half of the title, Radically Changed. Radically Changed. They are both important. Deeply rooted, radically changed. Let me just read a couple verses. Colossians 2.13 And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses. We were dead and now God made us alive. In chapter 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And you see, if, if Christ's work is true, then, then seek the things that are above. Put it into practice where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Chapter 3, verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. We are changed from old to new. We are new creations because of the work of Christ. And that changes how we live. We have been radically changed. Because going from being dead to alive is a pretty radical change. And so we'll explore what that means. The practical. Part of that is to to answer the question, why, why obey? Why follow Christ? Because so many times we just follow a list because we're supposed to. And that will almost always fail. But Paul is saying it's not about the list, it's about the why. We, we do those things because of what Christ has done for us. Because Christ is in us and we are in Him. I think in your notes I put down six things just to remember about being in Christ, which come out of these practical side. And I give them, I'll give them to you quickly today, and as we study, I invite you to keep this piece of paper and see how different sections of Colossians come back to this. What does it mean to be in Christ? First one, A, we are partakers with Him. We are partakers in Him. We are in Him. That means we, we are partakers in His death, in His resurrection. He has given us a righteousness that is not of ourselves, but is of Him that God sees when He looks at us. He has given us fullness of life because we participate in His life. So we are partakers with Him. We participate with Him. Number two, our walk in Christ encompasses and infiltrates our entire life. Our walk in Christ encompasses and infiltrates our entire life. When I say I'm in Christ, that means I'm all in. I can't, I can't waffle on this. And what I mean by that is the whole compartments things. And some of you have heard me talk about spaghetti and waffles and men and women. And There's no room for waffles in Christianity. God doesn't want just a little compartment of my life. That's not being in Christ. That's knowing something about Christ. Being in Christ says He gets the whole thing. And we're going to see that as we study Colossians. See, being in Christ means we need Christ for everything. We need Christ for everything. Not just for salvation and redemption, which we can do nothing on our own to accomplish. We need Him completely. But beyond that, we need Him for everyday life. We need Him to be sanctified every day. If I wake up in the morning and if I go through a day without ever being conscious of saying, I needed Christ for this, I'm not walking in Christ that day. And I know that's, that's a bold thing to say. And we can say, well, I can live Christ and I don't have to realize it. We need to be aware of our need. 
And as soon as we are not aware of our need, we become lukewarm. Remember in Revelation, the letter to Laodicea, which on the map was just about 12 miles away from Colossae? Remember that? The instruction to Laodicea is you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. I want to spit you out of my mouth. I want to vomit you. And he goes on to say why? Because you don't think you need me. And so as we study Colossians, I pray we see a need for Christ for everything we do, for strength for every day, for every conversation, to be seeking Him for what, it, what He wants us to do that day. Letter D, being in Christ means Christ defines our behavior. Our desired behavior, our correct behavior. Not that we do. And think of that in other things. If I say I'm into the Dodgers, okay, which is a great thing this year. Sorry, Angels fans. <laughs> if I say I'm into the Dodgers, that implies certain things, doesn't it? Because if you never see me talk about the Dodgers, if you never see me wear any Dodgers gears, or then I'm not into the Dodgers. If I say I'm in Christ and you never see that reflected in my actions, if you never see that reflected in my speech, I'm not in Christ. I'm just saying some words. Being in Christ means He defines our behavior. Being in Christ defines our behavior. Fifth one there, everything we do is for Christ and His glory. Everything we do is for Christ and His glory. And finally, Last one, being in Christ has implications for the church. It means we are family and we are united with all who are in Christ. We are family and united with all who are in Christ. See, if I'm in Christ, that means I'm an adopted son of the King. If you're in Christ, that means you're an adopted son or daughter of the King. And we've talked about this before. That makes us siblings. And so if I, if I truly am in Christ, that changes how I view the body, how I treat the body. Those are some of the things that are going to come out as we study Colossians, as Paul describes what it means to be in Christ. I'd like to read those first two verses again. See if you see any clues that, that all of this context helps us understand and input. Paul is just, he's a master at just giving some clues at the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And right from the start, he says, you know, I haven't been there, but here's my credentials. I'm a sent one from God. I'm an apostle, and I care about you. That's what I'm writing, why I'm writing. But he doesn't just say he's an apostle. He's trying to draw their focus back to who Christ is, so he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the will of God, bringing them back to the authority of God and the sovereignty of God as the one and only. And Timothy, our brother, and we see the community of being in Christ. In verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers, and those are both descriptions of each other. It's not that there's some that were saints and some that were faithful brothers. It's to the saints, even the faithful brothers. It's one and the same. And it's a reminder that we are set apart. That we are saints. And we talked about this in Philippians when we started our study of Philippians. 
If you're a believer, you are a saint. Sometimes we think of saints as someone that has lived for God and died and done great things for God. Paul says you're all saints. If you believe in Christ, if you follow Him, you're a saint. And so that changes how we treat each other. That changes how we view ourselves. And so this morning I address you to my fellow saints. To my fellow saints. Faithful brothers. He's reminding them to stay steadfast as all these pressures are coming in. Then he uses the words that are going to be his theme, his mantra through the whole book, in Christ. In Christ at Colossae. And in the original language, there's some parallelism there. It's in Christ in Colossae. And he's comparing the two and he's saying, yes, you're, you're in this city, but your greater identity is that you're in Christ. And so let's explore what that means. And then he ends with a standard greeting that he has changed slightly to represent who Christ is and the work of Christ. Grace to you. Unmerited favor from Jesus Christ to die on the cross when we didn't deserve it for your sins. Grace to you. And peace, shalom, that comes from God, our Father. I'm excited as we go through the book of Colossians. My prayer is for us as a congregation that we will explore what it means to be in Christ. That we will discover going deep in our faith and making sure we're rooted in who Christ is. But then that we'll practically live out the fact that we are radically changed. That we are different. I'd like to take just a few minutes and try something this morning. No groans. No, no... (laughs) I'd like to just show you a little bit of a taste of the book of Colossians and how many times the name of Jesus Christ or Lord, which is referring to Jesus Christ, is mentioned. And I'd like to do it by by just having us popcorn read different verses of Colossians. So keep your Bibles out. Keep them open to Colossians. We'll do this for a couple minutes and then worship team, if you could come up after that and we'll sing, I'd like to sing thank you again. It just summarizes where we're going with Colossians. But what I'd like to do is just, if you find a verse that happens to talk about Jesus Christ and it won't be hard, read it. You might say chapter 2 verse 1 says this or this verse says this. And we'll just popcorn and let's get a flavor of what's in the book of Colossians. But rather than you just sitting and listening to me, I want each of us to dig into His Word and to find that. So I'm just going to start by reading those first two verses again, and then I'd like random people to take it from there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Just random verses. They don't have to be in order. What talks about Jesus Christ? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Dear Lord God, our Father, thank You for Your Son. Lord, challenge us over the next four months to deepen our faith, to believe in You and to know what we believe, but challenge us us to live in You too, that we would understand what it means to be in Christ. And Lord, my prayer for Village Bible Church and for every person here this morning is that You would hold us close to Yourself that we would be so in tune with what it means to be in Christ that there would be no succumbing to the pressures of this world. But I pray for our college students, some who are just coming back from college, some who will be going to college this next semester in the fall, and I pray that you would protect them. Protect them with the truth of who you are and the work that you have done. Protect them in the knowledge of why they obey and why they follow you. But I thank you for them. I pray that you would do a work in our church as we disciple and as we disciple each other to be in you. In Jesus' name, amen.